0: Well good morning and welcome to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. We begin a new series today on the Holy Spirit as we celebrate the birthday of the church and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. For the next five weeks we will walk through Paul's letter to the Romans in the eighth chapter and we're going to unpack what it means to walk according to the Holy Spirit's leading. Thanks for listening honest now does anyone here uh, use the GPS on your phone ever anyone ever have to do that so I'm not terribly familiar with Green Bay but I know it kind of well and my wife wanted to go to Target she had a specific kind of plate she was interested in and I didn't know how to get there so I plugged it into the GPS and Siri took us on a very strange route I, we ended up driving through residential homes and, and making four corner stops in the middle of what looked like a cul-de-sac somehow. But eventually, sure enough, she got us to the destination. Now, I remember in the middle of that little experience, being the humble man that I am, I preferred to uh, make my own way rather than listen to the voice on the computer tell me which way to go, um, that, that's a struggle sometimes. That's not only a struggle just in listening to the GPS or taking directions from someone else. But if we're honest, sometimes that's a struggle for Christians to take direction from God as well. Amen? Amen. Some, sometimes we're listening, but we're not following. And sometimes we'd like the easier route, right? I mean, keep me on the interstate, for goodness sakes. I know there's a, there's a main drag that takes me right by, and we could get there a lot faster. Like my, my plan is a good plan. Is your plan a good plan, right? Do you ever talk, tell God that? God, you really should listen to my plan. I got a good plan. But sometimes, sometimes the Spirit takes you on a back road. Sometimes the Spirit takes you down a, a, a path you, you never thought was going to be part of the trajectory of, and the journey that you were on. And the question becomes, how willing are you? How willing am I to listen and to yield to that soft, still voice, that one who is giving us guidance, telling us where to go and what to do do we obey when he, what he says? Do we listen when he calls? And I fear one of the great problems with the church today is that instead we're all too very skilled at both dismissing the leading of the Holy Spirit in reference for what we see as sometimes more pragmatically best, like this makes more sense to do it this way. That may be true from the human perspective. And then also, justifying the way in which we don't listen to his leading due to either our traditions, our customs, um, the way things have always been done, perhaps. Where do you want to be, church? You want to be where the Spirit is, amen? amen. Wherever he goes, that's where I want to be. Even if that's down a road that I'm not completely familiar with, if he's there, that's where I want to be. I'd prefer to be uh, in a dead end cul de sac with the Spirit than on some four-lane highway, making great time, but only on my own. This message uh, starts a series for us that uh, I've entitled just the Holy Spirit. And the sermon this morning is living in accordance with the Spirit. It's a challenging message, and so I really want to ask you to do your best to listen closely. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8, and if you have your Bible, I'd like to invite you to turn there with me. Romans chapter 8. We're going to look through the first eight verses as Paul reaches this milestone in his letter to uh, the church in Rome. Recognizing the need of the believer to stand upon both God's grace in his past work of salvation in our lives and the present leading of the Holy Spirit. What we're going to do is we're going to read through it together and then we're going to see how it applies in two areas. Okay, the two areas are our life personally So you're going to be taking note to what this says to you right now, here today. But then additionally, what that means for us when we gather corporately. What is God speaking to all of us here together as a church? Romans chapter 8. Reading out of the NIV, Paul writes, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think I've, I probably have read this before, but it really needs a good, loud amen at the end of that. Can we try that? So let me, let me do it again. Here we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Boy, I love that. Amen. I, I can't even read any further. I've got to preach on this for a minute. You've got to give me a break, right? Condemnation is the judge saying to you, Guilty. The judge doesn't say that to you, church. There is no condemnation. Condemnation, And many times, you know what we find in our lives? We're the ones saying guilty to ourselves. Are you like that? Do you ever have that voice that just is constantly cutting yourself down? Listen, don't say something that God has already said is true. There is no condemnation in your life. There is no condemnation. Boy, that's worth an amen. Verse 2. Because, so here's the reason why. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. How many laws are mentioned here, church? There's two laws. There's a law of the spirit of life. And there's a law of sin and death. We're going to look at those in a little bit. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do. In that it was weakened by the sinful nature. God did. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man. To be a sin offering. And so he condemned Sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of the sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. There's more here than we can cover in the time we have this morning. But I want you to see a a couple of things. Basically, two main highlights. Number one is this. We have a sinful nature. I know this is not new information to you, right? <laughs> we have a sinful nature. Your Bible might have a different translation here. It might say flesh or fleshly nature. Um, it's just a reference. It doesn't mean, mean your skin and your bones and, and your body. What it means is that deep seated DNA of self love. I want what I want, I don't want to submit to God. That comes from our flesh, but again, not skin and bones and hair. It comes from the nature that we have inherited living in a corrupt world. There are eight things that I want to point out to you here in the sinful nature. Uh, Number one, it holds you captive. Did you see that in uh, verse 2? Because you've been set free. So uh, without the Spirit, what are you? According to the sinful nature, you are a... You're captive. You're like a slave. Secondly, it makes God's law... Powerless to produce righteousness. Uh, God's law is uh, it's good and it is right. Jesus says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law. We don't do away with it. Jesus came to fulfill it. God's law is holy and it is good and it is just. But it has no power to produce righteousness in your life because it's been weakened by our sin nature. You, you can't obey it. You could try. And the whole point when Jesus comes to show is that people have been thinking they are, right? You remember his words? You've heard that it said, thou shalt not murder. Anybody here murder somebody? Not a lot of hands going up. Yeah, I've never murdered somebody. But Jesus says, but I say to you, anybody who thinks evil in his heart towards his brother is guilty of judgment. Anybody here ever think evil of their brother? (laughs) Couple of hands, couple honest Christians in church today. Yeah. (laughs) Guess what that means? That means you're guilty of murder. Jesus' point is this. The sinful nature is is shown to be evident in our lives in the way in which we cannot keep his law. It's been weakened. It doesn't work. Number three, the sinful nature desires to continually control you. Verse five says those who live according to the sinful nature. Uh, We could talk for probably five hours in here of all kinds of examples in our life where the sinful nature wants control. Number four, it warps your mind, right? Because as you live according to it, therefore your mind becomes set on what it desires. So you don't even think of the things that God wants. You just think of the things the sinful nature wants. Number five, it leads to death. That comes from verse six. The mind of the sinful man is, you see it? death. Number six, it makes your mind hostile to God, right? So this mind that is full of death, uh, this mind, the sinful mind in verse seven is hostile to God. Seventh, it it does not and cannot submit to God's law. Uh, You should underline cannot. Unfortunately, there are still some people today and any other religion on the face of the earth is man's attempt to just be good enough to please God. Oh, I'm a good person. Uh, yeah, i sure I'm a good person. I don't, I don't do that. And, and you look horizontally to your neighbor and you compare yourself with your neighbor. And maybe, depending on where you live, you're better than your neighbor. But as soon as you compare yourself to God, you very quickly recognize that, yeah, I really can't please God. The sinful nature. You, without the strength of the Spirit, you're hopeless. You're going to drive your car around. You're going to get lost. All right. And eighth and lastly, it makes you impossible to please God. That comes from verse eight. Those controlled by the sinful nature can't please God. That's some, that's some bad news, church. But you ready for some good news? Yeah. Here's some good news. You also have the spirit of life. Even though that there's a law of sin and death that's seen existent in our lives presently. There's another law. It's the law of the spirit. And you have the spirit of life. I got eight observations for us to see there as well. Number one, the spirit of life sets you free, right? Sin and death holds you captive, right? Sinful nature holds you captive. But the spirit, you have freedom. You and I, we are no longer slaves. We are now set free. Secondly, it has supernatural strength, not fleshly strength. That comes from verse 3. I got to read it again for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature the next two words god did, did. that's worth underlining as well doesn't say you did it says god did it so the power that you receive from the From the spirit isn't a power that comes from earth. It's a power that comes from God. It's divinely given. It's not fleshly. Number three, it carries the power of Jesus's righteousness, right? So in verse four, the reason that God did this in verse four was that the righteous requirements of the law, all those things that we fail at, that they would be fully met in the person of Jesus Christ. When you come to place your faith in God, there's a transfer that happens, where all of the sinful, uh, rightly punishable deeds that you and I have done and left undone, they are paid for at the cross. There's nothing left to pay. You and I still confess, but the blood of Jesus Christ is fully sufficient to wipe away your every sin. As far as the East, separated from the West, so far have your sins been removed. And then the rest of the transaction is the righteousness of Jesus Christ gets applied to you. Do you see the transaction? My wrong gets applied to him and his right gets applied to me. That's what verse 4 is saying. Fifthly, it gives you a new mind to follow what God desires. That's in verse 5. Uh, those, who have set their, uh, those who live in accordance with the Spirit have set their minds on what the Spirit desires. So if, if you have, a, if you have a, a mind here that still thinks earthly, that still thinks fleshly, you have to begin to retrain your mind. To think as the spirit leads, not as the flesh leads. You have been given a new mind. Number six, it makes your mind follow God, right? So then we're controlled by the spirit. Seventh, it brings life, doesn't bring death. And lastly, it brings peace. We see this in verse six. The mind controlled by the spirit is life and his peace. I summarized it very simply like this, and I think you have this in your handout. Uh, the sinful nature makes you a slave, makes you powerless, you're fleshly controlled, it leads to death, and you're hostile to God. But the Spirit brings freedom, it doesn't leave you powerless, but now you're powerful. You're not fleshly controlled, but now you're divinely controlled. No longer leads to death, but now leads to life. And you are no longer an enemy before God, hostile to God. But now you have peace. That's peace both with mankind and peace with God. Well, let's see if we can try to bring this home such that we would um, apply what God's word says in our lives. First, we need to look at us as individuals. Where where are you at this morning? How does it feel coming to church? I mean, you... you You're hearing God's word. You're recognizing the difference between these two laws. You know what the problem is? Why do we have such a hard time following the spirit? I know why. Because I want to do what I want to do. That's why. I don't want to go down the back road. God should listen to my plan. I got it all figured (laughs) out. It's because my mind has been trained... Not to listen to him. My mind has been trained to listen to my own heart. This wicked, deceitful heart has for years been speaking to my head, tricking me to think I know better than God. Well, that's the problem. What's the solution? Well, we got to look to the Bible to find the solution. I want to put this up here and just see if you can spot it. There's a word that's repeated there's a couple here that show up a few times, but there's one word that's repeated five times. It's the only word uh, of a major noun or verb that's mentioned. i give you another second to just look. I, I hear a couple people spotting it. All right, if you think you know it, shout it out. What is it? Mind. Mind. Do you see that? What, what do you think Paul's trying to say to us, church? Here it is. The problem is we have a hard time listening to the Spirit. The solution, we must allow our minds to be transformed. That's the solution. You must get to the place where your mind no longer thinks as to what's fleshly and earthly, but your mind is now transformed. I want you to turn a few pages over, if you're still with me in Romans, turn to chapter 12. Because we'll get the, the agency of how to do this, right? If you, if you believe me so far that this is what needs to happen... Your next question might be, well then, Pastor, how do you do that? I I believe we need to have our minds transformed, but how? Romans chapter 12. You you need to remember, too, as Paul started in chapter 8, what is there? There is no longer, no condemnation. Remember that? You didn't do that. God did that. So with that as the backdrop, look with me in Romans 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... Right? Mercy. He did it for you. You didn't do it yourself. In view of his mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It's your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. That's the mind controlled by the sinful nature. That's That's how the world operates. That's not how God's kids operate. But, does your Bible have a but? Here it is. But be transformed By the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and his pleasing and his perfect will. The agency for discovering the mind of God, church. Is the ratification of the Spirit's leading through what has been delivered to you in his word. Do you remember when I had you hold up your Bibles and say, this is my sword, right? This is my weapon. We did that a couple weeks back. It is. There's nowhere else that you can turn. Don't leave your Bibles dusty on the shelf. The transformation of your mind, it begins right here. It's a yielding to the Spirit's direction in your life so that you don't want to go the way you want to go. But how do I learn to hear and discern His voice? We learn it by rooting ourselves in His Word. So my question to you would be this. What do you occupy your mind with? I got this stupid game on my iPad that I, some, for some reason, love to play before I go to bed at night. Anybody else? I hope I'm the only one, right? Who's, who has a screen that I like to just waste time crushing candy or matching up colored blocks or something. I, you know, I love to watch sports, so the TV's on. There's another screen in my life, right? I wonder if you could just tr- track the amount of time... That you and I spend on entertainment in our lives while these sit idly by. Because you know what's happening that entire time? Your mind's being conformed to the world. The devil's very slick at this, he's made it very attractive, he's made it very easy. Just think of the kind of commercials today just fast paced, lights, sounds, colors, anything that would attract your attention. The more shock value it has, the more eyes go to the screen. Doesn't that seem obvious that the the world is showing its hand to try to get our attention, to draw us in? What do you occupy your mind with? Sudoku puzzles. Look, crossword puzzles. (laughs) This book, this book is waiting. It's easy, folks. It's easy to become idle. It's easy to be entertained, to like plug in our minds and go on autopilot. The command here and the solution to hearing from God is, first of all, recognizing that we have to transform our mind. The agency of that transformation is found in the reading of his word. So that's what I'm going to leave you with as far as individuals are concerned. Uh, The second application here, though, does look to the church because corporately we need to be following where God leads. As a body, we need to go where he goes because I don't want to be founded on my own. Wherever he is, that's where I want to be. So what is church all about? I wrote four things down here. Encouragement, growth, reminder of grace, and strengthening. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 2. After all, this is Pentecost, and the story of the Spirit delivered to the church is found in Acts chapter 2. If you look with me at the very beginning, Acts 2, if everybody's there, Helen, what page are we? 1692, 1692 in the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> when the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were seating, sit, sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And each of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The story goes on uh, to show how there are uh, Jewish people coming from every nation. He lists a bunch of them out. And these folks don't speak the native language any longer. They come from Russia, they speak Russian. They come from Portugal, they speak Portuguese, right? But they all gather together and suddenly they are able to hear the works of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ in their native language because the Holy Spirit enables them to. That's Pentecost. That's happy birthday, church. That's what we celebrate, because the Spirit has come into each of our lives to empower us to likewise be a witness and a representation of what God and Jesus would look like here on earth. I want you to, though, fast forward to the end of the chapter. So go to the end of chapter 2, because now as the church has begun to be established, we see that there is a pattern now that they're going to follow when they gather together. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Everybody still with me? Here it is. They devoted themselves. So this is what happens when they come together. They devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Do You see what I have up here on the screen? We need encouragement. That comes from fellowshipping together. That's what the early church did. They devoted themselves to fellowship. How many of you is your favorite part of church when we shake hands and and give hugs? Right. It's my favorite part. I love it. Or the end when church is over and we get to do the same thing. I love it. That's encouragement because we need encouragement. We also need growth. Well, the early church says that they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. So what do we do? We spend the majority of our time uh, listening to a message that comes from his word, from the apostles teaching, because we need growth. We need a reminder of grace. Have you ever have you ever come to church on a Sunday and just felt low and needed to be reminded that God loves you anyway. Doesn't matter what you've done or said. God still loves you. That's the reminder of grace. And we see that evidence when we come to communion. When we remember the bread and the, as the body of Christ. And the wine as his blood shed for you. We remember that it's free gift that has drawn us to God. And that's breaking of bread here in Acts chapter 2. And lastly we need strengthening. And that's why we pray. This is what church is about. This is what we're to do when we gather together. But here's the problem. We confuse the church with a place or an event. Anyone here guilty of that? It's not an event. Boy, church was good this morning. That's not a thing. Church is not an event that happens. We have a worship service. So you can say the worship service was bad or good. But you can't say the church was. Church is not a building, right? The four walls that surround us, they're just a structure. They don't, it doesn't become the church until you and I walk in here because we are the church. So the solution to this problem is that we must recall our purpose as God's people to remain active in engaging our world with the gospel and therefore... Avoid the temptation of seeking our own comfort, preferences, and desires. We must be willing to follow where the Spirit leads. If that sounds wordy, let me break it down for you like this. What happens on a Sunday morning service is not about your comfort. Now, I'm certain that you bought whatever furniture in your house because it's comfortable. Right? And we live with minds still thinking earthly that what we do when we gather here should be for our comfort. But that is dangerous. It is dangerous for us to suddenly turn inward and only think that what happens here is for my preference. And this is how I like it to go. And boy, the pastor's preaching a long time this morning. (laughs) Whether or not you like that or dislike that, that's not what matters? We have a purpose, and if we forget our purpose, we begin to get really nitpicky about our preferences. If we forget our purpose, we get really nitpicky about our desires. I have heard, um, I've heard our service is too long. I have also heard our service is too short. Um, I have been, I've been timing uh, the sermon so far. I'm at 27 minutes right now. But I need to tell you something this morning, church. I'm not going to do this anymore. I can't. I can't be a kind of pastor that feels that the Holy Spirit is constrained to this amount of time and only this amount of time. Can't do that. Thank you. I want you to see a passage of Scripture with me. Uh, Turn with me to Galatians. And um, as you turn there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just put up here on, on the screen, I think I have this in your handout as well, uh, these three questions that you and I need to ask when we're talking about corporately. Are you or your church living in accordance with the Spirit? You've got to answer that. Number two, are you or your church not living in accordance with the Spirit? And lastly, how can you or your church better live in accordance with the Spirit? Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Look at what it says. I have it up here as well if you're still turning. Uh, You have it, Helen? 1810. 1810. Church, I find there a lot of value to having a personal Bible with you that you're able to interact with. But if you don't have one, I have it up here on the screen as well. Look what Paul says. Am I now trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of God. I've, I've heard in other occasions that we sing too many praise songs, and I've heard someone else sing, say, we don't sing enough praise songs. I've heard someone say, we don't sing enough hymns. I've heard someone say, we sing too many hymns. So, so either way, if I try to please people, I'm going to be offending somebody, right? So am I now trying to please people or God? Right? Paul has to ask this question because, you know what, church? The only one that I need to be concerned of on Sunday morning and the only one that you need to be concerned of in your life is am I pleasing God? There's a story of uh, it's from Aesop's fables. You got it. We have a minute. Can I tell you a quick story? So here's what happens. There's a um, preachers like stories. They do. Uh, There's a guy with his son uh, and a donkey walking into a town. And as they enter a town, there's a wise old man at the gate. And he looks and he says, you're not using the donkey properly. Because donkeys were made to carry a heavy load. And so the man looks at this and he says, all right. So he takes his son and he places him up on the donkey. And they walk a little bit further. And as they go further in the town, there's a bunch of young people who look and they say, look at that old man. Um, or uh, there, there's these old people. I'm sorry. I up the sword. There's the, these old people that say, look at that poor old man having to walk while his son the the young kid gets a free ride. You, that's, that's not right. And the man hears this. And so he takes his son off the donkey, and he gets on the donkey. And then they go a little bit further. And this is where they encounter the young people who say, look how they're making the young guy do all the work while the old freeloader's up on the donkey. And so the man hears this. So he takes his son, and he puts him up on the donkey together. So now they're, they're riding together. And they go a little further, and there's this... Um, uh, uh, agriculture farmer, and he looks and says, "That poor donkey with all that. <laughs> so burdened and weighed down uh, by the load of these two freeloaders. And so the boy and the man, they get off the donkey, and, and they pick up the donkey and they put the donkey <laughs> and, and they, they uh, finally reach back to the end of town where the wise old man was standing, and he looks and he says, "You see what happens when you try to please people?" You see, what happens is you fail to recognize the purpose for which the donkey was given. That's what happens, church. I can't do that as a pastor because I cannot worry about trying to win the approval of men. So here's a few things that I need to lay down for you. Number one, I can't be an effective spirit-led pastor. And I want you to think about your own ministry in this sense. I can't if I preach with a constraint to the clock. I can't tell the Holy Spirit it's this much and only this much. Sometimes the Spirit's going to have a nice, short, succinct message. Other times it's going to need to be drilled into us. Either way, I pledge to you, I'm going to follow the Spirit. Secondly, I can't be a Spirit-led pastor if I'm focused on pleasing people. I can't. I'm gonna, we're going to fail for the purpose of why we gather if that happens. And thirdly, I can't be afraid to speak the truth of God's Word. There are things in this book that will offend you. If you struggle with anything that comes from his teaching, understand that I love you dearly and would love to sit with you and walk through it. But you have to wrestle with this book. And where it doesn't square with your own preferences, your own desires, your way of doing it, you and I need to begin to transform our minds. Not to think earthly and fleshly, but we need to think how the Spirit would instruct our minds to think. 2 Timothy 2. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, Paul says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. This is my instruction as a preacher. There's no time limit on here. (laughs) He doesn't say preach the word. In fact, there's a story in the book of Acts where Paul preaches all night long. There's a guy sitting by a window who falls asleep and falls out the window dead. (laughs) I promise I won't do that. There's a few other things that I do want to promise you this morning. I'm very thankful to be your pastor here. And I'm coming up on one year anniversary of serving this church. And it has been a joy. And I continue to want to look and to see how God will use us, use myself here. I don't have my foot on any other platform. I'm solely squared to serve uh, Jesus Christ here as I hope you as well are. To want to be invested in this ministry. And so here are some things that will never change so long as I'm the pastor. Number one. The cross will always remain front and center. We have a screen over on this side, but the cross of Jesus Christ is the rallying point of all believers. That will never change. Secondly, I will always prioritize the following. Do you remember this from Acts 2? It's the same thing that the church devoted themselves to. The teaching of God's word. I will prioritize that. That's why we do so many Bible studies on Monday and on Wednesday. Prayer, remembering the Lord's Supper, such that we would receive grace again onto our hearts, and fellowship. I'm going to prioritize those four things because that's what I see in the Bible being prioritized. Thirdly is this, there will always be a continual emphasis on the mission of God. This is your purpose. We will always rally against the desire to become inward self-serving. And we're going to do so by continually trying to focus our eyes beyond our doors. How can we help the people in our neighborhood? How can we help the people in our state? How can we help the people in our country and in the world? There's a lot of development that still needs to happen. I want you to begin to listen to the Spirit on how He would lead you to that as well. But, hey, look, you hired a missionary. (laughs) So I'm going to emphasize missions. Fourthly is this. I will preach grace. I will live grace. And I will expect grace from you. What's the name of our church? Grace. Grace. You're in a good place, church. We're in a good place. Can't be lip service, however. We're going to live this. And then fifthly and lastly, there's always going to be an emphasis upon walking by faith. Because we cannot please God without faith. And I hope that you'll begin to see that. This was something that I encountered on the mission field every day. Sometimes I didn't have what I need, but we're going to walk anyways because by faith, the righteous will live. So we need to emphasize walking by faith. Church, I want to encourage you today. Romans chapter 8 talks about two laws. It talks about the law of sin and death that lives in us. It talks about the law of the spirit of life. The challenge to us is that we would walk in accordance with the spirit. Simon says, touch your nose. (laughs) Let's pray together.